Amen. Y'all doing all right? Good deal. Thanks for coming today. Hey, let me uh, before we before we start the sermon here, let me just give you a verse that I've been thinking about the past few days. The, the Bible says in the book of Joel, it says this, it says to rend your heart and not your garments to rend, to give your heart and not your garments. Guys, every time we have a chance to interact with the Lord, uh, we want to we want to give our heart. Amen. Are y'all with me? In other words, garments are just what's on the outside, just going through the routine. Uh, we don't ever, ever, and I'm not just talking about this morning. I'm, I'm talking about even at home in our own prayer time. Every time we crack open the Bible, every time we pray, man, we want to rend our heart to God. Amen. And uh, let, let me just say this to you guys. I believe, my opinion, is that when we rend our hearts, there's going to be a passion that comes with it. Don't get quiet on me today. There's going to be a passion and there's going to be a desire to go, God, I got to have you. Amen. 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 Let's pray one more time and we'll dive into the word. Here we go. Father, thank you for your word today. God, I thank you for every person that's here. God, I thank you for what you're doing in their lives. Lord, I thank you, God, that we are truly, God, growing from faith to faith to glory to glory. Father, I thank you, God, that you're strengthening our inner man as we learn to walk with you and we learn to seek your face. Thank you, God, for just... um, Calling out the destiny, God, that you've put in every one of us. Thank you for calling out uh, just the, the call, the plan, the purpose that you have for us. And, Lord, we don't want to be a people that back down from any of that in any way. But, God, we want to grab a hold of Jesus and we want to go forward. God, we want to put our hands to the plow. God, we want to put our hands to the plow and walk with you. And so, Holy Spirit, thank you for coming today and teaching us how to do that. Thank you for teaching us the word of God. We pray that the word wouldn't land on hard hearts, but it would land on good soil and produce good fruit. And it would change our lives. Father, we thank you for your anointing and your presence today. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, listen, uh, for the past month, we've been talking about uh, prayer and uh, I think sometimes, let me maybe say this, that prayer can be something that we almost uh, get so common, commonly used to seeing and hearing, we don't think much about it. But, it, you know, to understand today that when we talk about prayer, it's really our lifeline. Amen. In other words, if you cut off a person's prayer life, you might as well cut off their oxygen, their spiritual oxygen. And so we've been talking about prayer. We've been trying to put a focus on prayer. And we've also been talking about our approach to prayer. Can somebody say approach? Now, uh, a few practical things that we've talked about over the past few weeks about prayer. I'll kind of go through these things quickly, uh, just in case anybody's visiting or, or you haven't been in a few weeks. But we, we said that prayer is rooted in these truths. We said that prayer is rooted, number one, in the fact that God is alive. Amen. Listen, there is no reason to pray to a dead God. Amen. So listen, not only is it alive, but God is extremely relational. And because he's relational, guess what? He hears us when we pray. And not only does he hear us, but he also speaks to us. And another thing that prayer is rooted in is the fact that God can, that all things are possible with him. Amen. And that God uh, is for us. He's not against us. Do you know that this morning? That God is for you. He is not against you. And prayer is also rooted in the fact that God has invited us into an intimate relationship with him. I think that's so amazing. And we can't hear that enough and we can't uh, think about that enough. But God has called us into an intimate, intimate relationship with him. And the last one you'll see up there is that prayer is rooted in the fact that he calls us sons and daughters. And I want to sit here for a second, but but it's this fact that I hope that I hope that we really get in our hearts. In other words, all of us in this room, that we really get this, that we are already loved and accepted by God. 
Guys, listen to me. So there's never a need to approach God in some I'm unworthy hireling mentality. Are you all with me today? The, the reason I say that is because this, because we, we approach God, like we talked about last week, from a position of sonship. And sonship understands that Jesus has already made us worthy. I recognize the in and of myself. I know me. Right. You know, you we all know our shortcomings and our failures. But guess what? When God looks at us because of Jesus, not because of us, but because of Jesus, when he looks at me, who does he see? He sees Jesus. Am I right with that? Am I right with that? That he has made me listen. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So when I come before the Lord, I don't come as some nasty sinner. I come in the righteousness of God. Y'all getting quiet on me today. Let, let me let me maybe give you an analogy to maybe say it this way. This morning when I walked out of my bedroom and I, you know, and I basically walked out of our bedroom and walked into our uh, kitchen area, I had, I had three sons sitting there eating cereal. I didn't walk up to, you know, Jude and slap the bowl of cereal out of his hand and say, what makes you think you're worthy to have that cereal? Any of y'all do that today? <laughs> Listen, what makes him worthy to have that cereal? Did he pay for it? No, he didn't pay for it. Right? He didn't even fix the bowl of cereal. His older brother did. What made him, listen, what made him worthy to have that bowl of cereal is because he's my son. So let me ask you this morning. You, you know, if I'd went in there, slapped that bowl of cereal, and then somehow Jude got on the ground and groveled, Father, please, please let me have a bowl of cereal. I'm unworthy. Are y'all following me? You'd be like, what kind of household do you have? Right? Okay, so, but... But obviously that didn't happen. So let me ask you this. Would any of us ever want our own children to grovel in our presence? Guess what? Neither does God. Are you all hearing me today? So do yourself a favor this morning. Turn to your neighbor. I know this isn't for everybody, but turn to your neighbor and say, come on, come on. Listen, don't act like you didn't sit by them on purpose. Right? Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Uh, let's say it like we from the south. Say, neighbor, stop acting like that. Jesus has made you worthy. Amen. Are y'all hearing me this morning? Please hear me, okay? Listen, when we talk about prayer, prayer is also rooted in this. It's rooted in our love for him. Great place to say Amen. Listen, it's rooted in our faith towards God. Listen, that we as born-again believers, that we have a confidence that God is who he says he is and that he will do what he said he will do. Yes? Listen, prayer is rooted in the fact that I trust God with my life. Now, listen, if I'm in a situation and I don't know where the answer is coming from, at the end of the day, I go, God, I trust you. Has he let us down so far? No, he hasn't. There's a lot of things we may still have questions on, but he hasn't really let us down. Amen. But listen, prayer is rooted in the fact of commitment. And here's the base of the point I want us to see that I pray because God is committed to me. Therefore, I am committed to him. Plain and simple. And the last one here is that prayer is rooted in humility and vulnerability to understand that vulnerability allows me to open my heart up to God. And it's that humility part that helps me go, God, I'm depending upon you. Right. Listen, it's that humility side that realizes that prayer is not a last resort. Prayer is the first thing we do. 
Right? Too often, out of our own pride, we go, God, I got this. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> None of us do. Right? The humility says, God, I depend upon you. Now, let me give you a thought that I've been thinking about uh, for the past few days. Um, and this is just for those people that maybe had a week like I had. Is that all right to tell you? Listen, there's this thing that when we decide to grab a hold of those truths, right, and when we begin to apply those truths, when we begin to take our rightful place before the throne of God, when we begin to give ourselves to prayer like we talked about last week, guess what? We shouldn't be surprised that the enemy doesn't roll over and play dead. Listen, how many people go, I'm praying, and then all hell breaks loose, and you go, why is hell? Hello, right? Listen, he's the enemy of your soul. Amen. Listen, the enemy wants to come and he wants to plant, uh, he wants to come against us in our thoughts. He wants to come and, uh, and stir up our emotions. He wants to push our buttons. Listen, he wants to rob us of our peace. He wants to zap us of our spiritual strength, however you want to say it. But listen, that he, listen, when, when you really begin to pray, the devil will come and he will begin to mess with every significant relationship that you have in your life. He will begin to mess with it. In other words, it's this. Why if when I'm praying, now why am I having issues with my spouse? Why am I praying and now my kids going to start acting like that? Why am I praying and then I start having these issues at work? I thought me and Bob there used to be really good friends. How come now I go to school and that person I used to be friends with and sit in the lunchroom table with, how come now they're, they're acting funny towards me? Go with me today. Listen, the devil will come against every God-ordained relationship that threatens him. Understand that. Listen, there's that piece of this. Of that, I, I've noticed in my own walk with God, when there's a few people that I start praying with, start grabbing, guess what happens? He starts trying to bring disunity in that. Y'all with me? He starts trying to drive a wedge. Because see, there's this spiritual truth, and we don't need to act like the enemy's dumb, because the enemy's not dumb. The Bible says that one of us can set a thousand to flight, two of us can set what? Ten thousand to flight. We're not adding, we're multiplying. <laughs> So when you get a group of people together, there's power in prayer. And guess what? The enemy's not going to go, oh, will you guys go ahead and do that? Are you with me? Listen, let me maybe say this to you this morning. Ultimately, what the enemy wants to do is he wants to come and he wants to remove the honor. Because the honor is a currency of the kingdom. He wants to remove the honor that we have and that we feel and that we give to other people. So I want you to just ask yourself this morning, is this, is over the past few weeks when we've been said, okay, I'm going to engage in this a little bit deeper, has my honor shifted towards someone? And I mean, not in a good way, but in a negative way. And I want, you, I want you to know this morning, I know the same for everybody, but I want you to know this morning that if it is shifted in a negative way, it's not from God. Because God will never come and remove honor from your heart towards another individual. So, listen, I want us to remember something, and we'll, we'll hop back on the prayer track here, but this all has to do with it. But, listen, I want us to remember this morning what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians. He said this. He said, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes. That's what we're talking about, the schemes of the devil. And the Bible actually says this, that as we pray, guess what? We will know. We will know the schemes of the devil. Amen. So here's my encouragement to you. Whatever's going on in our lives, let's reel that thing in. Let's get proper perspective and understand who's behind it. And also understand that people are not our enemies. People are never, ever, ever our enemies. Amen? 
So if you're praying and you're grabbing a hold of this, I want to encourage you this morning. Don't give in. Don't back up. Keep pressing in and do what that thing says right there in the Scripture. Stand your ground, please. Because you can't take ground unless you stand your ground. Okay? So listen, as a church, we're here to take ground in a region. We're here to take ground in our families. But if we do this, every time the enemy comes and we just fall over in an emotional heap, then guess what? You're never, we're never going to do what the Bible says. We're never going to destroy the works of the devil. Do you understand that this morning? That Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Where does Jesus live now? Through us. So how is he destroying the works of the devil now? Through us. So if he can get you sidetracked or if he can get you um, distracted with other things, he'll do it. Amen? Amen. All right, let's shift gears. Here we go. Now I'm ready for the sermon. All right. <laughs> Listen, I'm of the train of thought that this, and I'll throw this up here so you guys can see, but I'm of the train of thought that uh, life can be very complex and overwhelming at times. Anybody in agreement with that? Life can be very complex, very overwhelming times. So the last thing we need to do is to complicate our walk with God. Are you all hearing me? The last thing we need to do is complicate our walk with God. So listen, I'm of the, I'm of the train of thought that, that this, that I try to take this approach with my walk with God. I try to keep it simple and pure. That's it. There's a thousand things that I can read, a thousand things I could add to it, a thousand. But I just try to keep my relationship with God simple and pure. And the reason I do that is because Jesus said that basically faith like a child inherits the kingdom. Children are simple and they're pure. Amen. Another reason the Bible says this is that the pure in heart shall see God. I really want a pure heart. Amen. I try to guard my heart. So when I when I begin to think about basically pure and simple with the subject of prayer, I just I see it basically in three areas in three ways. I want to share this with you today. This is pretty, pretty practical, but we'll roll with it. The first one is this is simply communing with God. Communing with God. The first area, the first way that I see prayer is communing with God. And I am putting these in order uh, on purpose, okay? It's communing with God. Now, what does communing mean? Communing mean? And it's a place where he and I, get that, he and I, share intimate thoughts and feelings. We share those things with each other. That, is, that gang is the main purpose of prayer. The main purpose of prayer is to know God. And how can you really know someone if you don't know their, their uh, intimate thoughts, desires in their heart? Amen? The second way or second area I see prayer is this, is just needs of others. And this is where I pray for individuals. I pray for us corporately. I pray for, uh, you know, us as a region. Obviously, like you guys, I pray for our country, right? So, listen, it, this is when it comes to the second one here. This is people that I know and it's people I don't know. It's people I consider friends. It's people that I just see as kind of acquaintances. And it's people that I just know as absolute strangers. But, you know, it's no different than you for me in this is, is when I go about my life and I'm, and I'm just worshiping God, loving God, trying to live for God, there's times where burdens will come and, and hit me and I just need to pray for somebody. And, the, and I may only know their name. Like lately, uh, God's been having me pray for a certain family, and it's a guy that's on, on our soccer team. I know him, never met his wife, never met his kid, but I've been praying my guts out for him. And this thing, that, that, that's where God's kind of grabbing me, and there's many more than just that. But, for example, the third area is this. The third area is my needs. 
And what I mean by my needs is, yes, me personally, but it's also my family. That's the category that I put my family, my wife and my kids, and even our extended family that we pray for. So up the top, number one is communing with God. The second one, needs of others. Third one is my needs. So I believe these areas are really anchored in the two great commandments, the two greatest commandments. Look at this. Look at Matthew here. It says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. That's number one, communing with God to me. It says, and second is like it. You shall love your neighbor. That's number two for me. And then lastly, as yourself. That's number three. So the three simple and pure things for me with prayer are all rooted right there in the greatest commandments. Now, don't, don't let me lose you here, okay, because I want to say some things very intentional to you today. I'm not really any different than you. I, I know the order of those commandments. I know which one comes first. I know which one comes second. And I know where I fall into the mix. But over the years, when it comes to my personal prayer time, y'all don't miss what I'm saying here. If you miss personal prayer time, you're going to miss everything I'm talking about here. But I'm talking about personal prayer time when it's just me and God. It has been so easy in those times for me to get the cart before the horse. In those three areas. Here's meaning this. That as I begin to pray, I immediately, for some reason, skip over number one, and I move right on to number two or number three. Y'all follow me. You can leave those three things up for a bit if you want to, Johnny. Listen, for some reason, I bypass the communion with God, the first commandment, if you will, and I move right into asking for my needs and the needs of others. Anybody else with me? Listen, I'm starting to see that when I skip... Number one, communion with God, that when I skip that, I might as well be trying to replace what Jesus taught us in Luke 11, verse 2, when he said this, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven. Watch this, that when I come before the Lord, then I automatically dive into my needs and I automatically dive into people's needs. I might as well be replacing our Father in heaven with this, our provider who is in heaven, generous is your name. Watch this. Or if I come to God like many of us do, and I go, God, what do you want me to do today? And I make that my priority. I might as well be saying, our master who is in heaven, assignment giver is your name. Y'all hear me today. Listen, I don't know about you, but I don't want to get busted by God for trying to redefine him. See, the truth is, is that we all know Jesus didn't make a mistake when he began to teach us how to pray through a relational model or through a relational approach when he said, our father, can't get any more relational than that, can it? Our father who is in heaven. Obviously, he told us this for a reason. Do we all agree? Listen, so let me ask you a question this morning. Was that reason of why Jesus taught that, was it because God, and I've heard people say this, is it because God is on some arrogant ego trip and he has to be first in line? There's a lot of people that think that. That somehow that God is somehow this egotistic way that he's always got to be first. And I want you to know something today. God is absent of pride. Please let that sink in your heart. God is absent of pride. He, he doesn't, there's no pride in him. Or let me ask you this. Is the reason that God says, hey, commune with me first, is it because God really wanted to assure us of how much he wants a loving relationship with us more than he wants our good works? Absolutely. Now, watch this. I'm going to throw a quote up here for you. But I think God knows that good works never guarantee a loving relationship. 
But a loving relationship will always produce good works. Amen? That it's, that it's natural. L- listen, if it's, if it's the whole thing, if, if somebody, here I'll pick on this. There's other countries that have uh, this crazy thing that I thank God that we don't have, those uh, prearranged marriages. Whew, that'd be bad. Especially those countries where you can't even see her first. You know what I'm saying? Anyways, maybe I shouldn't have said that, but I'm just saying. All right, poor him. Or him. Yeah, or him. Okay, but anyways, whatever. All right, so listen, it, there's that side where the woman really comes into that marriage, right, for a whole, I'm going to serve you. Is that true? So, you know, there's no guarantee in love in that way. But if you if you go, man, that's the woman I'm supposed to be with and I love her, then there's an automatic part from each other. We're going to serve one another. It's the same way with God. Yes. So I want you to think about what Jesus told the Ephesus church. Get this concept in Revelation 2, 2 through 4. He said this. This is the church of Ephesus. He said, I know your works, your labors, your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. Sounds pretty good so far. It says, and you have tested those who say that they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. These guys need to be commended, right? We'd be good as a church nationwide, worldwide, if we would do those things. Will we all agree with that? So listen, that's a lot of good works. Well, watch what he says in verse 4. We all know here. He said, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. That you have left your first love. That you've gotten things out of order. See, I believe part of what Jesus was telling the church of Ephesus is he's saying this. Gang, all of those good works, they're great, but they've got to flow out of a relationship with me, not define or take away from me. Do you understand what I'm saying by that? See, see there's that piece. It's very much what the Pharisees did. They took this. They took this approach that I have to work for God so serious that when God showed up, they didn't even recognize him. And that's the thing that, that here's Jesus saying, hey, look, you've lost your first love. He's saying you've let somehow the works of being good for me and going through the motions. Guess what? That, that you've lost what it means to just really know me. You've let it replace me. You've let it redefine me. take this from another angle if i can put it another way watch this don't let me lose you here why is it so important to remember what jesus taught us in luke 11 remember our father in heaven right throw this up because no relationship built around using another person for our own personal benefit ever becomes lasting and meaningful watch this but on the other hand loving relationships built around true communion and the pleasure of friendship Always becomes meaningful. That's why he's saying, put me first. So let's sit on that thought for a moment. Remember the three areas we talked about. In fact, if you want to throw three areas back up, Johnny, you can. Where we say communion with God, once again, needs of others, my needs. Watch this. Let's focus on number three. If our first motivation in prayer is to get our needs met, guess what? Prayer will simply be a form of using God. Listen, and if our view is simply this of what's in it for me or what can I get out of it, that motivation of praying will fail. Do you understand that? In other words, after a while, if that's the way you view God as this crisis center, convenience store, wishing well, 
you know, however you want it, 911 emergency call, you know, uh, survival technique, whatever you want to say. If God is nothing more than that, after a while, you will lose your motivation to spend time with him. Amen. All right. Now, let's look at the next one, because the same can be said if our primary motivation for prayer becomes all about praying for the needs of others. Let's say that's my motivation, because we think, after all, somebody's got to stand in the gap, right? And let's say, you know, man, I, I dive in and every day, man, I'm praying for every need that I've heard in the last month and I'm bombarding heaven. Uh, guess what? All that sounds really good, but even that motivation for prayer won't last long either. And here's why. Because after a while, you will be the one that feels like you've been used. Truth? So here's kind of the point that I want to make here, and then we'll dive into a few good things. But here's the point. Is that maybe Jesus knew what he was talking about. (laughs) Maybe. (laughs) Right? That listen, that maybe when he said, communing with me, then praying for other people, then praying for yourself, maybe he was just trying to protect our growing relationship with him. Did you get that? Maybe he's trying to protect us and our growing relationship with him because he didn't want us to lose our motivation and lose heart and stop. Listen, we can all see that when we look back at if we make number three our priority or our main priority and number two our main priority, we, we can all see pretty easily that those two mindsets will never bring, bring about a consistent, joyful, helpful, uh, healthy, sorry, meaningful relationship called prayer that God's called us to. Why? Because me asking for uh, my needs or asking for the needs of others never births intimacy. Amen? Listen, let me give you a verse here that I believe should be our best motivation for prayer. Here we go. It's in it's in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. It says, for the love of Christ compels us. What a great verse, huh? For the love of Christ compels us. And it's this simple thing, and, and it's this simple fact here that because he is so in love with me and I am so in love with him that we can't wait to get together, commune, and share our thoughts, right, our intimate thoughts, our feelings. We can't wait to commune together. Watch this. When we do that with one another, guess what happened? True partnership begins. And then, here's what takes place. Then, from that spot of diving into number one on that list of communing with him, I'm going to know how and what I should pray for other people. And not only that, I'm going to know how and what I should even pray for myself. Am I making sense to you guys? Let me just say this, just so maybe we can connect the dots. How many times have you ever dive-bombed into prayer, an emotional wreck, right? And and ask God, oh, it's like you just, you know, just going ballistic with him, and nothing changes. And then how many times have you took the approach of, God, I'm going to be with you and just worship him for a while. And that which was causing your emotions to go haywire, he just speaks one word and it's done. He comes, he speaks peace to the storm, and you're good. Right? Or he begins to do this. Or in the middle of all of that, he'll speak something, and he'll just bring such a perspective, and now you look at the whole situation completely different. I I remember for me personally, there was a a person in ministry that that I wanted to reach out, and I wanted to give him the right hand of fellowship. (laughs) I did. I'd been, I'd been, look. I can tell with that flesh just like you do, right? And uh, But I wanted to hit the dude in the mouth, all right? 
And 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 truth is, is he needed to be hit in the mouth, all right. But but I but I wasn't the one called to do it. And uh, and I. <laughs> but I remember I I was on the phone one day and I was complaining about the individual to someone else, really just wanting some wisdom. How how do I deal with this this guy, right? And I heard the Lord speak loud and clear. I mean, so clear. He said, approach him like a father. And my whole perspective of hit him in the mouth went, and I just want to give the guy a hug and just love on him. Right? Am I making sense? Anybody ever been there? So, listen, it's this kind of idea that... The reason it's so important to go one, two, three, and I'm not saying you get, that you got to go. Let me maybe clarify something here. If if this man walks up to me and goes, hey, pray with me. I'll spend 30 minutes worshiping God before we ever get to his need. I just pray for his need. I'm talking about my own personal prayer time with God, okay? So so there's this side that I go, that I understand this, that from the, my communing with him first, all the rest of that stuff just kind of flows out. It's this thought that God is the fountainhead of prayer. That it all comes from him. Amen? All right. Let's pick up the pace here. To further kind of prove this point, let me just show you this real quick. I've got, I got two, two or three more things I want to show you here. But remember, remember that just before, day, just before uh, Jesus basically gave uh, his disciples the Great Commission to go into all the world, preach the gospel. We all know the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, right? That just days before he gave that to his disciples, he actually came in and established his relationship that he wanted to have with them, his working relationship that he wanted to have with them in that process. Let me show you this in John 15, 15. Because a lot of people, what they don't recognize is most, most of the book of John is really one week of Jesus' life. One week. That's crazy, huh? So watch this, John fifteen fifteen. Here he is. Jesus is saying, look, here's the great commission, but I want to show you how I want to partner with you in this. John fifteen fifteen says this, I no longer call you servants, but friends. That's the working relationship. Watch this. Let me maybe help us out here. Do we all have the great commission? Have we all been given the Great Commission? Every disciple, have we all been given the Great Yes, we have. So watch this. If we've all been given the Great Commission, guess what? This is the working relationship he wants from all of us or with all of us. He wants to be friends. Amen? Are you all with me? See, and it's this fact that, listen, true friendship, here's what's so awesome, is never about one person's needs. But guess what? If we're servants, it is about one person's needs. So he said, I no longer call you service. It's not all just about my needs, but guess what? And guess what? It's both of ours. We're going to meet each other's needs here. I'm, I'm choosing, get that, the God of the universe, the all-powerful one, is choosing to partner with us, choosing to be a friend with us. And so what happens is, is guess what? When we're both engaged with one another in communion, then guess what? All that serving becomes a whole lot easier. And it becomes a joy instead of an obligation and a duty. Amen? Now, here's what I think is, uh, you know, not a coincidence. That the first intercessor, the first prayer warrior that's ever mentioned in the Bible, guess what? He is also known as a friend of God. Anybody know his name? It's Abraham. That even God himself said, listen about Abraham. He said, basically, Abraham is my friend. That's powerful. That God would say, not my, not my child, that's my friend. Now, here's what's important for us, because I've heard people say all kinds of things that's crazy, but I want us to, to view this friendship correctly. Watch this, because this is about prayer. It may not seem like it, but it is. 
that, listen, that Abraham wasn't God's friend because he was an intercessor. He was an intercessor because he was God's friend. Do y'all get that? There's, these, there's people in the church today that they feel like somehow that, that if they, because they're this, it somehow gives them this. No, it's because I am this, I respond like this. Because I've communed with him so much and there's that sharing, guess what? That I begin to do what? I begin, he begins to share his burdens with me and then I begin to intercede for those needs. Yes? Because listen, let, let's be honest with ourselves. It's really easy for us to go and just view people a certain way, but there's something about when God speaks to us about those individuals, we see them from his light and his angle, right, and his perspective, and then we begin to pray for them a lot different than what we normally would. Amen? Amen. Let me give you one last thing and we're done. All right? Uh, If you have your Bible, I I just want you to kind of flip there. Uh, Let's go to Luke 10. Luke 10, Luke 10. I kind of want to bring a balance to, balance to everything I'm saying here. Let's kind of wrap it up with this. Probably going to read from a different translation than you have. I'm reading from the New American Standard. Luke 10, verse 38 through 42. If you're there, say, oh, yeah. Oh, sure. All right, here we go. <laughs> verse 38, here we go. It says, now as they were traveling along, he, talking about Jesus, verse 38, that he entered a village and a woman named Martha. Somebody say Martha. It says Martha welcomed him into her home. She had a sister called Mary. Somebody say Mary. It says who was seated at the Lord's feet listening to his word. It says but Martha was distracted with all of her preparation. She came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Once again, we're going to talk about balance here. It says then tell her to help me. Get that. Jesus, I'm doing all the work. Get that girl up off the floor and tell her to help me. Right. And then it says, verse 41 says, but the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. But only one thing is necessary for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Listen, I don't know why, but every time that this passage is talked about, people automatically celebrate Mary and disregard Martha. Is that not true? Listen, in fact, it's kind of well known. If anyone ever comes and they compare you to Martha, listen, let me help you out. They're not trying to compliment you. (laughs) You're so much like Martha. Bless your heart. Right? What, What they're trying to say is this, is that you've been so busy working for God that you've somehow lost sight of your relationship with God. And you don't know how to sit at his feet. Right? People have said that again and again and again. And and, and I got to say this. That in my opinion, I don't know if there's another woman in the Bible that has ever undeservingly received as a bad as a rap as Martha has. It's almost like she's in the running for like like the worst lady in the Bible, you know, with Delilah and Jezebel. And it's neck and neck. We're not sure who's going to win. Right. Am I telling you the truth today? It's, it's hilarious, right? It's like one would think that trying to prepare a good meal for Jesus and keep, keep your house clean while Jesus is there, that somehow that that's an unpardonable sin. Right? It, you know, listen, this may sound odd, but it's almost like, once again, it's my opinion, it's almost like we have treated Martha as like the homespun Cinderella of the Bible. Is that true? Is that true? Were you Martha? You were Mary? You were Mary? See, see what I'm saying? 
You was Martha? Okay, Martha. Martha? Martha? All right. Come over, come over here, Martha. Come over here. Stand right here, please. Miss Dottie, come on up. You're going to be Mary. I don't know, whatever. We're gonna, let's go. Michael, you got a beard. Come on up. You're going to be Jesus. I know Jesus was 33, but hey, you're going to be Jesus. Here we go. Watch this. Uh, you can take the stool, and I just want you to sit up there on the stool. Take the stool. Yep. Yep. Awesome, man. Awesome. You're not working. You're at his feet. Come on. Sit right here. That's where I want to be. See what I'm saying? They're keeping it rolling. This is nice. I wish I had a, a nice get-up for you like you had in the Christmas production. You guys did really good, by the way. L- listen, you, you know, here it is. I think we'd all say that, man, here's the superstar, and, and here's this person that, man, we, we just absolutely feel sorry for her. Right? It's like she just missed out on so much. <laughs> you tried? You tried. There we go. So, but, but listen, I, I had the same view, the same perspective until, uh, of Martha until a few years ago. Here's what happened. One day I was walking through my house, and I can, I can tell you exactly where I was at. I, and, I, and I was not in some, you know, I hadn't been praying. I, you know, I wasn't, I didn't come out of the prayer closet. I was just doing life, right? And I, and I remember I was walking, and I was about to actually, I was in our living room downstairs, about to turn to go on the steps, go upstairs. I went to go make this, and I got stopped dead in my tracks because God spoke so loud to me. I, it, it, couldn't have been any, it couldn't have been any clearer or any louder if it was the audible voice of God. He, literally, he stopped me. Here's what he said. Here's what I heard, loud and clear. I heard, Quentin, I never said Martha chose the wrong thing. And he had been thinking about these two ladies. Hadn't read it, hadn't studied it. I mean, it was like absolutely out of nowhere. I never said Martha chose the wrong thing. If you look back at the verse, it simply says this. It says that Mary chose the good part or the better part. Now, why is it better? Don't let me lose you here. It's better because it's rooted in the first commandment of loving him. It's better because that's supposed to be our launching pad. It's better because it's rooted, once again, with communing with God. That she's enjoying being with Jesus, right? But we need to understand something. If that is all we ever do is just sit and listen, nothing will ever get done. Are you all hear what I'm saying to you today? L- listen, we will, never, we will never move into number two and number three. We will never step out in faith. We will never operate in our God-given authority. We will never walk in our God-given identity or our God-given assignment. We will, listen, we will live in a perpetual state of dreaming, of spiritual fantasies of what we could do for God. It's this, that we will dream about doing great exploits instead of actually doing them. Y'all follow me today? Listen, we need to understand, and in fact, let me just say this. I was in a church service, and a man got up. Pastor Brian was there, and a man got up, and he prophesied for about 15, 17 minutes. And this long, long, long prophecy that was on the money, I mean, it was so on the money, he said one thing that stuck with me for the last 17 years. He said this, that the day of hearing must give away to the day of doing. That the day of hearing must give away to the day of doing. In other words, that we got to do something. Amen? 
So I want to ask you this morning as we close, listen, does your prayer life have a Mary mentality? Meaning this, do you know how to sit at his feet and hear his voice? Or are you just asking a bunch of questions for yourself and for other people? Do you know his heart? Do you know his ways? You're feeling me today. Do you know how to sit there? Literally, it's almost, this is the best way I can word it. Do you know what it's like to sit up in Papa's lap, put your head against his chest, and hear his heartbeat? And say this, God, I want the rhythm of my life and my heart to be identical to yours. Do you have a Mary mentality? But at the same time, I want to ask you today, do you have a Martha mentality? Do you know, listen, do you know your God-given duty? Do you feel the weight of responsibility? Because that's what she felt, right? Jesus is in my home, and I need to do this. She was feeling the weight. Now, why is she not understanding it? Do you, do, you, do you feel the weight of souls? Do you feel the weight of the hopelessness of the region we live in? Are you all feeling me today? Listen, do, do you know, Martha, how to put your faith and authority to action? In other words, that there comes a time where, yeah, I can enjoy it and I can worship, but do I know how to really go, okay, this is the authority I have as a born-again believer, and God said that when I pray, these things happen, and I know how to actually use that. Yes? Let me give it to you in another way. The Bible says that the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. Do I even know how to pray the Word in a way that I can combat the enemy? Here's, here's basically the simple point that I'm trying to show, to show you today. Is that our prayer lives need a Mary mentality and they need a Martha mentality. They need both if they're going to be healthy and effective. Amen? So the last thing I want us to do... Johnny, can you throw those three up for me again? Is to leave here and become these people that all you want to do is just soak in the presence of God. I love hanging out with Jesus. I love his presence. But somewhere along the line, I got to drop to number two and love my neighbor. And then lastly, it's okay to love myself because guess what? If I don't address those things I need to address with him, I'm not going to become who he's called me to become. And I'll never be able to fulfill what he called me to fulfill. Am I making sense to you guys? Amen. We're done. Let's pray. If you're just saying, Pastor, I want some of that, throw both hands. If you say, man, I need both of those mentalities in my life. You guys, if you need to be seated, you can. You're good. Yeah. Father, we just come to you today in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we just ask you today. It's almost a really way of going, really weird way of going about it. But, God, we just ask today that you would give us a merry mentality. God, give us a mentality that knows how to sit at your feet, knows how to love you, knows how to sit there and, and literally just hear your voice and soak it all in. God, literally, that we would be a people that absolutely love just revelation that you bring in our lives. But, Lord, we're also asking today for a Martha mentality that knows how to get it done that knows when it's time to work, and knows when it's time to take responsibility. And Lord, even in our own prayer time, God, that we would be so discerning that we would know when things shift, that when we would know that, okay, it's time to get up off the floor and it's time to go do something. And, Lord, we'd also have the discernment to know when we need to quit sweeping the floor and we need to quit uh, baking a cake and we need to just go hang out with you. Lord, I really don't have a language to put everything in 
into words of what I'm feeling. But I ask, God, that you would just begin to bring revelation in our hearts. God, to teach us how to commune with you and teach us that everything flows from that spot, that we'll know what to pray and how to pray, not only for other people, but also for ourselves. Lord, I'm asking God, just as a congregation, as a a church, people to call this home, Lord, I'm asking God that you would begin to give us a burden for this region. God, that you begin to give us a burden for this church. God, that we would begin to uh, hear you and know exactly what you desire to do in our church. And Lord, we also pray, God, that if there's anything, going back to the top, if there's anything that's out of, out of alignment, if there's anything that, man, where honor has been removed from our hearts, Father, we repent. We repent. God, you said that we uh, hear the voice, your voice, and we wouldn't listen to the voice of the enemy. So, God, I thank you today for just bringing clarity and speaking to our hearts. God, we don't want to be at odds with our wives. We don't want to be at odds with our kids. We don't want to be at odds with other people. Lord, we want to honor them as you called us to honor them. And so, Lord, today, thanks for going deep in our hearts and healing what needs to be healed and just bringing honor. Restore that today in Jesus' name. Father, thank you for your people. Lord, I pray that you would bless them, bless them, bless them. God, thank you for the journey that we're on with you. Thank you for the opportunity to grow and to walk and know you and to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.